Tonight, I want to speak to you about seven kinds of people to avoid. Seven kinds of people to avoid. You know, sometimes you want to ask, but why should we avoid some people? It is true that God loves all of us. It is true that God has created everyone. But the Bible also teaches us that if we will be blessed, it will also, if we will enjoy the blessing that God will give us, it is also dependent on the kind of people that we have around us. And, and we, if we are also going to fail in life, it also depends on the kind of people you have around you. And so people matter in everything. Um, I have thought about the blessing of relationships, that when we pray to God for things, God will answer the prayer through people. Um, I've also realized that when things are going to be difficult for you, it will still come through people. You know, people can be the reason why you smile and the people can be the reason why you cry. And so everything in life has got to do with people. And sometimes in the scriptures, there is the wisdom of God that teaches us to avoid certain people. Not to give them certain allowance into certain decision-making areas of our lives. And if you are supposed to be created by God to make progress in life, if you will make progress in life, there are at least some seven kinds of people that you need to avoid if you really want to be serious in life and to go somewhere. Tonight, I've come to share wisdom with you. Wisdom is an anointing. The Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes chapter 10 and the verse number 10, it says, using a dull axe requires great strength. So you need to just sharpen the blade. If you are using an axe and it's very dull, it's going to take a lot of your energy to try to cut down a tree with that. But at least if wisdom kicks in, all that you need to do, instead of spending 10 days cutting that tree with that dull, dead, corrupted, corroded axe, all that you need is to sharpen it. And when you sharpen it, what will take 10 hours might take 10 minutes. And so it's wisdom that kicks in to make the difference. And the scripture says, that's the value of wisdom. It helps you to succeed. The old King James says, wisdom is profitable to bring direction or to bring progress or success. Tonight, I believe that the anointing of wisdom is upon me to bring you some words of wisdom concerning seven kinds of people that we need to avoid. Amen. In the Bible, we are also told in Romans chapter 16 and the verse number 17, I'm just giving you the reasons why um, I'm sharing this message. So I'm giving you biblical basis. Um, so the scripture says in the verse number 17 of Romans 16, that now I urge you, brethren, to take note of those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. So the same Bible tells us to avoid some people because they may contaminate us and we may not make, in this very context in Romans 16, Paul writes to the church and says, there are some people in the church, you need to avoid them, otherwise you will not make the needed spiritual progress that you need to make. And so the scripture teaches us this, and then we are also told in Romans chapter um, Sorry, I mentioned Romans 16, um, which I have read already. Another scripture tells us that um, good company is good for us. And then it says bad company corrupts good morals. So a bad company will corrupt something. That means that the kind of people we have around us can make or break us. The kind of people around us, even when we have met an angel of God, it will take some kind of people that will discourage you. And even if you have heard God, they will be able to tell you, yeah, you didn't see an angel. And you will believe them. I believe it's one of the reasons why God made Zechariah dumb. And then he appeared to Joseph and told him to still marry Mary. And make sure, because remember that Mary and Elizabeth were related. And they were very close. That if, if Zechariah could be allowed to be talking, he may convince Joseph that this thing don't take it. <laughs> it's not true. I don't believe it. You know, he may negatively convince, convince him. So God made him unable to talk until John the Baptist had been born. And so sometimes it is important to avoid certain people. This evening, my key scripture is taken from 1 Samuel chapter 17. From verses number 12 to 51. It's a very long passage. 
but we will not read all. I will just bring you, we know the story already, but sometimes we get a certain understanding when we read the scriptures. It is about David and how he conquered Goliath. And from there, we will learn these seven lessons this evening in Jesus' name. The Bible says, now David was the son of a man named Jesse, an Ephrathite from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. Jesse was an old man at that time, and he had eight sons. Jesse's three oldest sons were Eliab, Abinadab, and Shimei. And these three had already joined Saul's army to fight the Philistines. King Saul then was a king of Israel at this point. The Bible says in the verse number 14, David was the youngest son. It's a very important point to take note in the lesson we are about to learn. David was the youngest son. David's three oldest brothers stayed with Saul's army. But David went back and forth so he could help his father with the sheep in Bethlehem. For 40 days, every morning and evening, the Philistine champion strutted in front of the Israelite army. For 40 days, a man called Goliath threatened Israel, did not give them peace. He threatened them, mocked at them, insulted them, and insulted the God that they represent. And then the Bible said, one day, Jesse said to David, take this basket of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread and carry them quickly to your brothers. Give these 10 cuts of cheese to their captain. Jesse knows how to relate. He knows how to bless the captain so that at least he will also be favorable to his sons. So it's not wrong sometimes to uh, send some Christmas gift to the teachers who teach your children. <laughs> All right, let's go on. And the Bible says, and see how they are doing and bring back a report on how they are doing. David's brothers were with Saul and the Israelite army at the valley of Elah, fighting against the Philistines. So David left the sheep with another shepherd and set out early the next morning with the gifts, as Jesse had directed him. He arrived at the camp. Just as the Israelite army was leaving for the battlefield with shouts and battle cries. Soon the Israelite and Philistine forces stood facing each other, army against army. The verse number 22 says, David left his things with the keeper of supplies and hurried to the ranks to greet his brothers. As he was talking to them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks. Then David heard him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. The man had thrown no spear, he fired no shot, but they were so terrified of him. His, his, his threats, his verbal threats and his height alone and his size alone was enough to put fear in the people of God. May nobody be able to intimidate you in Jesus' name. But these people had an anointed king. A man that God himself selected, King Saul. And yet he was running away from the battle and the whole of Israel runs when a man just roars at them. You can imagine if they were running when somebody is just threatening. Could they really master their courage to go and fight them? So there was a big problem here. This was a big issue for the nation and the Bible said, whilst this was going on, the Bible says that he came and said the same thing. And as soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Verse 25, have you seen the giant? The man asked David. He comes out each day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. I want to see this guy. Anytime I read the Bible, I want to see this guy who was reporting to David. So you, you are in the army. Won't you go and fight so that the king will reward you? You only have the information to pass on. Won't you step forward and take the glory? And the Bible says that he has heard everything the king has promised. And I'm even surprised the king is also promising others. And he's the one Samuel anointed with oil. 
to lead the people of the Lord and is running away. He's now promising others to go and do something that he should be doing. And the Bible says that he comes out every day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. The king will give that man one of his daughters for a wife. The guy is saying this, are you not interested in the king's daughter? And the man's entire family will be exempted from paying taxes. Charles, this is where you should have taken the advantage. <laughs> Glory be to Jesus. Amen. <laughs> this one is a blessing when you get married. You will be exempted from paying taxes. No and I nothing. You are free. <laughs> Hallelujah. Then David asked the soldier standing nearby, what will a man get for killing? He wanted to hear it again. He wanted the vision. What are you saying? So he asked another soldier, what do, you, what do you think will be happening to the man who kills this man? And the Bible said, they answered him and said to him, the king will, kill, will give that man one of his daughters for a wife and the man's entire family will be exempted from paying taxes. David asked the soldier standing nearby, what will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway? That he's allowed to defy the armies of the living God. And this man gave David the same reply. This man gave David the same reply. And then the Bible said. But. When David's oldest brother Eliab. Heard David talking to the man. He became angry. What are you doing around here anyway? He brought your food, brother. Suddenly, you're asking, what does he want here? Because we are talking vision. Because you can't get it, so someone couldn't go for it. Because he's your youngest brother. And you want to publicly humiliate him. And the Bible says that he then said to David, what are you doing around here? What about those few sheep you are supposed to be taking care of? The guy is coming to kill a giant. You are telling everyone, actually, all this noise is coming to make. He only takes care of few sheep, not even many sheep. His CV is not that big. What is he doing here? He can't even handle many sheep. He's talking about slaying a giant. But people, it is time to have giant slaying dreams. In the name of Jesus. And the Bible says that, when he said these things about David, and he says, I know about your pride and deceit. When was the last time David deceived anybody? That for the first time his brother is publicly calling him a deceitful person and that he's an arrogant boy. Sometimes when you are dreaming big, people say you are arrogant. May you avoid such persons in Jesus' name. And sometimes it's coming from people you expect that at least they will encourage you. That they will motivate you. You have been in the army. You are the trained soldier. And you can't stand the guy for 40 days you have been running. The guy just came this morning and you have run off. And your brother is asking intelligent questions on how he will go about it. And you are shutting him down publicly. And the Bible said, you just want to come and see the battle. What? And then David said, what have I done now? In the King James, he said, is there not a cause? Hallelujah. I was only asking a question. Then David, the Bible says in verse 30, he walked over. He walked away. He avoided his brother now. He walked away from him and still talked to others. When you have a vision, no one should talk you back to square one. Move forward in Jesus' name. And the Bible says that he walked away over to some other soldiers and asked them the same thing. He received the same answer. Why was David asking the same question? He wanted the thing to sink in. I'm going to be tax-free. I'm going to have a wife, the daughter of the king. I'm going to have a name. God is going to be glorified. This guy is going to fall. For defying God, David was going to go forward. And he asked others for the same thing. When you, the vision is repeated many times, it becomes achievable in the name of Jesus. That's why he said in Habakkuk to the prophet, he says that write the vision, make it plain. That means let it become clear. See it over and over and over. And suddenly it begins to hit your heart. And you begin to see possibilities in Jesus name. 
God has called us to do some great things. Plant some great churches, raise some great people, do some powerful things in your personal life, in your careers, in your visions in life. And nothing is going to stand before it. If you are going to make it, God will be with you. There are certain individuals you need to avoid in Jesus' name. And we will see these seven condensed in this passage I'm reading for you. And the Bible said, David then turned away from his brother and began to ask others the same thing. And they gave him the same answer. Then David's question was reported to King Saul. The way the boy was going about it, it is being escalated to the top. Hallelujah. And the king sent for him. Then David said to the king, don't worry about this Philistine. I'll go and fight him. The king said to him, don't be ridiculous. In fact, the old King James says, you cannot, you are not able to fight him. This evening, I came to announce to you, whoever said you are not able, I want you to challenge that statement and say to yourself, I am able. I have decided to do some things because they said I can't do it. I will do it. Because you said I can't do it, I will do it. I will do it for you. I will do it. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Don't worry about these Philistines. I'll go and fight him. King Saul, an expert of war, a soldier of war, a man who is also anointed to fight the battles of the Lord, had been running away from the battle, and he said to David, you are not able to. You are not able to. There is no way you can possibly win. You are only a boy. He's been a man of war since his youth. Hallelujah. King Saul saw a boy, but God saw a king. Before David arrived here, the chapter before, he had been anointed in the midst of his brothers. That's why it's very surprising that his elder brother was talking to him the way he was talking publicly. And David had been anointed and God had said to Samuel, go to the house of Jesse and anoint one of his sons for me. So whilst the boy that came was, an, was a very young boy, God already saw a king in him. Sometimes people may see you and judge you by your age, but God is looking at a warrior in you, a giant slayer in you, somebody that possibilities is all that you know. Whenever God calls a man, he doesn't show him Amalekites, Hittites, Evites, and Red Seas. He shows him only the promised land. The Bible says when he called Moses at the burning bush, he never discussed Red Sea with him. He did not discuss Hittites, Jebusites, Amalekites, all those things. God only shows you the end because the obstacle on the way by faith and with the right company you have already conquered them and that's why anytime Moses saw obstacle he only saw the end he doesn't see what the people were crying over it was the people who were worried about the Red Sea but the Bible looked at the Egyptians and look at the people and said these Egyptians you are seeing you will not see them again but we are seeing them because you see with the eye of vision I pray this evening that you see with the eye of God and have the heart of God in the name of Jesus and so the Bible says King Saul tried to analyze and reason with the young boy and use experience to tell him this guy has been a soldier from his young days and he's now a very, very serious veteran. <laughs> you can't go near him, he'll kill you in a moment. Me, myself, I'm running away from him. And David said to him, he persisted. I love the persistence of David. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. And when a lion or a bear came to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the, club, the lamb from its mouth. If the animal, animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I will do this to this uncircumcised pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. May your motivation be that God must be glorified. Amen. Hallelujah. And may you have a convincing word to speak to those who stand in the way of your vision in Jesus' name. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Saul finally consented. Amen. David convinced him and he says, go ahead. May the Lord be with you. Hallelujah. When we read all, we all know what happened. David finally approached Goliath and he threw one stone and finished him off. Amen. Verse 50, so David triumphed over the Philistine
with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. Then David ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath. David used it to kill him and cut off his head. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they turned and they ran. Hallelujah. And when David was approaching the Philistine, he also threatened David. But David also threatened him in the name of the Lord. Amen. Having laid this foundation, I want to speak to you from the Spirit of God and by the anointing of God and from life experience and ministry experience, seven people you can't afford to keep around your life, your ministry, or your business, even in your marriage, in Jesus' name. Number one, you can't afford to keep perpetual critics. Perpetual critics. These are endless critics. It doesn't stop. Round-the-clock criticism. Not constructive ones too, but destructive ones. The Bible says the way to turn to treat these people is to turn away from them. As we read, we see David's elder brother immediately started criticizing him. Publicly, he started calling him a deceitful person. So the criticism was not just that you have come here to, to fight an enemy who we are all afraid of, but he began to sort of look down on him. Criticisms that are destructive, they try to even demoralize you, call you names, try to weaken your hands, tell you you are not able to do this. Nobody in the family has ever done this. If you look at yourself and the way your face is and the way your shoes are, do you think you can do this? He says all these things and publicly he was actually humiliating his brother and telling him that he is arrogant and that he's proud, and that he's a deceitful person, and that he's actually taking care of small sheep. Sheep is not anywhere near a human being, let alone a soldier, let alone a general and an experienced warrior like Goliath. So to compare what your brother wanted to do with a little sheep is very serious. That was discouraging. This is a distracting a destructive criticism. So if David hung in there, the brother would have gone on with a perpetual cycle of saying things. The Bible says the remedy to this is to avoid that company. Amen. If David hung in there, we will not be talking about David and Goliath. We'll be talking about a certain boy that approached his brothers and was sent home later on. But the Bible says eventually David overcame because he chose to avoid perpetual critics like his own brother. Amen. It doesn't matter who the person is. When they start off with that thing that is going to demoralize your spirit, they are not offering alternatives. They are talking you out of the thing. And they are talking in a way that is actually telling you you are incapable of doing anything. Avoid their company. So David turned away. And we see our Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 13 Verse 53 to 58, he did the same thing when he got to Nazareth. Jesus, the son of God, the anointed one of God, he got to his own hometown. Have you seen family members? They are the ones doing these things. You see, <laughs> people who are familiar with you don't think you can do anything beyond what they knew you to be. Sometimes, don't you see people when somebody has become great? They say, all that they say, oh, but that was my boy. <laughs> That was my boy before. You see, he's not, he's not even trying to accept the situation. He's still trying to, to tell people where they knew you. That that boy that used to be the house help. And that girl that they used to send around. Oh, that was my girl. I, I used to send her. No, she's the vice president now. And that was my girl. We want to talk about them now. But you want to take people to the beginning where you knew them. And so they never grow beyond where you knew them. It's an evil spirit. It's a destructive spirit. May the Lord help us in Jesus' name to avoid such people so you turn away from them. In Nazareth, where he has been brought up, he's gone for 40 days and 40 nights. He come back. He's preaching in some places. And the Bible says after he had a lot of people following him, he came back to Nazareth. And when he got to Nazareth, the Bible says it was his own people. People in his Clan, village, they said, um, hold on, where does this guy learn this? We know he never went to school. A lot of people are following him from Jerusalem, capital city. They are following him. 
And you, the only thing you have to offer was to say publicly that who is this guy? Is this not the carpenter's son? The man is leading a church. This has nothing to do with carpentry. Why do you throw in the carpenter's son thing? You see, you see the, the, the few sheep thing that happened in David's case. This is what they are trying to do. But, but we knew him. He was a carpenter's boy. <laughs> That's a carpenter's son. And the guy is leading church. You are trying to take it back to where you knew him. And they start story, telling all the stories about how he didn't know his father. <laughs> and how his mother came with some cock and boo story. Now they believe that is one of the boys in the area that made her pregnant. And now this guy disappeared for 40 days and 40 nights and we didn't know what happened. And now they said he's leading some church. And they began to say these things. The Bible said Jesus' decision was that he turned away. That's why we may call him Jesus of Nazareth, but you see that he operated more from Galilee. He turned away from perpetual critics. In fact, the Bible said it was so bad in John chapter 7, John chapter 8. Even his own brothers did not believe in his ministry. Even his own brothers. They don't believe in his ministry. So I'm not even surprised that the whole town were not even believing in his ministry. The girls have a problem. In other words, if nobody from your house offers you for sale, no one will buy you. If people bought you, it means that somebody from your home sold you. Are you here? And so, even in his own house, there were some constant critics there. And then in Nazareth, there were constant critics. People who are going to say some, some things about his beginning and all of that. The Bible said he located to Capernaum. And in Galilee, he operated most of the time from Galilee. Avoid the company of people who are perpetual critics in the name of Jesus. Every time they will criticize you, criticize what you are doing, criticize. They have nothing good to say. They have a problem for every solution. Think about what I said. They don't have a solution for any problem. They have a problem for every solution. Anytime you are coming with any solution, they have a problem with the solution. Yet they have no solution for the problem. Let the Lord help you to avoid these people. You can't afford to keep perpetual critics around your ministry, around your life, around your dream, around your business. In Jesus' name. If, Dave, if David or Jesus had hung around this company, we would never have heard of Jesus rising. We would never have heard of David being able to kill Goliath. It was because he avoided his brother. That other people listened to him, saw his heart, and they escalated the matter until he got to, his, to the king. And the king then gave him the access to fight Goliath. Number two, you can't afford to keep people who are opposed to everything. They are opposed to everything. It sounds the same, but they are not. Critics, they can criticize you. But these ones, they are opposed to everything. Everything you come up with, opposition. Opposition members... In your life, you dream, they oppose it. You don't dream, they oppose your lack of dream. Everything you do, opposition. So we are not able to do this, opposition. You need to avoid opposition. Amen. You can't afford to keep people who are opposed to everything. I mean, everything, they, they have not, they are just opposing. It frustrates your spirit. Say, can we come together and do this? No. Everything, no. Ever since they picked that thing from childhood, they have grown with it. The first words of a child, no. Defiantly, no. And the, everything you want to share with them, no. We are not able, we are not able, we are not able, we are not able. Ladies and gentlemen, you are able in Jesus' name. The company needs to expand. Oh no, we are not able. And sometimes it's their own fear. But you are full of faith that you want to step out. And they said no. Let's buy a land. Husband says no. Let's get this one. Wife says no. So what should we do? Hang in here. It has been said that it is risky not to take risk. So take the risk. Come what may take the risk. 
But may the Lord help you and deliver you from the company of constant opposers. In Jesus' name. They oppose everything. Let's go to evangelism. No. It's, 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 it's raining. When it's not raining too. No, the sun is too hot. Now the sun is not hot. Let's go all oh, the way the clouds are. It's possible it might rain again. And then what is going to be our message? If we go and these LGBTQWFP people start against that, what, what can we say? So nothing will be done. Nothing. Frightful people want to actually impart that anointing. Reject it in Jesus' name. And avoid their company completely. You can't have people who are opposed to everything. 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 It's time. Let's, let's, so look, when are we getting married? Brother, you have proposed to me. I've said yes. When are we getting married? Oh, let's wait a little bit. We should wait for, for what now? We are all working. So what are we waiting for? Because you are afraid. You can't get everything you need in this world before you marry. Ask everybody who is married. It's a step of faith. Sometimes we have, we have announced the date and given cards. And yet, we haven't yet secured a room. But we will get there. In Jesus' name. The wedding dress is not yet ready. But you have given the date. We step out by faith. I'm not saying you don't plan. But all this part of the planning. You just can't get everything before you attempt anything. In Jesus' name. So we can't afford to keep people who are opposed to everything around us. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Moses had some of them. They say it's not possible. We are not able to defeat these people. He sent 12 men to go. They came with the bad news. The whole nation cried all night. So we, we cannot. We are not able. And thank God for Caleb and Joshua. They said, we are able. These people, they are bread for us. They are bread for us. May you see with the eye of God and avoid the company of these people because they are very, very infectious. Number three, you can't afford to keep people who drain the energy and health out of a life or business. They drain your energy. They drain your energy. And they drain your health. Out of your life or out of your business. See, they are wasters. Some people, you realize that you spend all your time advising them and it doesn't go anywhere. They are like stones that you are pouring water on. By the time you finish, you feel so exhausted. So next time you see them, you want to even avoid them. Because they are wasting your time. You want to spend it on others who will receive what you are pouring. They drain the anointing. There are some people, they are anointing drainers. After you have prayed and fasted, you, have, you see them draining the anointing. They just come and waste your time. They are the ones that suck the battery out of the, of the, of the camera. <laughs> it's moving at a fast rate and they do nothing with it too. Draining. They drain anointing. In ministry, you find some people like that. They drain the anointing of the church. They cause trouble and they never get repaired. Anytime you are counseling them, it's on, as if you are pouring water on stone. They drain your life. They waste your time completely. They, they, as if they want to be, I don't know what you, they want, but you see, you avoid such people. In Jesus' name. They drain the energy. They are wasters. You invest together with them, they waste the whole thing. They waste everything. They waste money. They waste time. They waste the time of ministers. They waste the time of visionaries. Visionaries. Because sometimes these are the people you sit for a whole night planning vision with, planning the business with them. Next morning, they are, they are coming to say something else that will annoy your soul. <laughs> <laughs> they do opposite all that was planned. It drains your energy. If it, it becomes very painful talking to them. It becomes very painful dreaming with them. In Jesus' name. So you can't afford to keep people who drain the energy and the health out of a ministry, out of a vision, out of your business. They drain everything. 
Sometimes you employ some people and realize that they are wasting the whole resources of the company. They are just wasting it. They are just wasting it. They waste everything. Sometimes the best thing to do is to sack them. Sack them in the name of Jesus. Just sack them. <laughs> You'll be free. Just sack them. Even God sacked the devil from heaven. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. Because they are draining the anointing. They, there are people in ministry called the anointing wasters. So that you don't feel like laying hands on them. It's as if it's going nowhere. Because they are not allowing anything to really work with them. May the Lord deliver you in Jesus' name. You can't afford to keep set people. Number four. It sounds like the first one, but there's a distinction here. Number four. You can't afford to keep people who contribute nothing but criticize everything. They contribute nothing, but they criticize everything. If you have these people constantly around you, nothing will move forward with your life, with your ministry, with your church, with your family, with your home. They contribute nothing, criticize everything. Even in the ministry, I've found out by experience. And when, when, say, when we meet as senior pastors, we talk about this. The people who always complain about money issues in the church, they are the ones who don't give at all. They don't give. Some years ago, Somebody came to see me. He says that, oh, uh, pastor, you know, I've observed that uh, uh, it will be very nice and it will be a good sign of uh, credibility if we will come and announce the offerings. Every Sunday after church, you know, we do it the way the Anglicans do it and the Catholics do it. Uh, our last Sunday service offering amounted to 32,000 pounds uh -huh. Thanks be to God. So she wants us to start doing that because it will bring credibility and people will respect our ministry and they will come. And I listened to her until she finished her thesis. <laughs> <laughs> then I said to her, I have three things to say to you. Number one, it is unbiblical to come and report offerings, it is a sacrifice. So you don't report offerings. It dies at the altar. I can't find anywhere in scripture where the priest came to tell the people, this is how much we collected. It is an offering. So it's a sacrifice. Amen. It's not, it's not microfinance, Susu, that you are collecting. It, you have to understand ministry from that perspective. Secondly, I said the churches whose name you mentioned, they are state churches. Their buildings are there. Whether people come in or not, the priest is paid his 5,000 minimum. 5,000, that's his salary. 5,000 pounds. Before you have all this, uh, you know, the, 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 the house that they live in, uh, the vicarage, and all those other things. Whether they go to evangelism or not, their salary is guaranteed. They are state churches. State resources are used to found some of them and pay some of them. So they have an obligation to come and report to the state. But in the Bible, that does not occur. So I said to her, so those people who go to the shrine and go and give those, have they ever added a boldness to go and tell the chief priest, the fetish priest that he should come and render account? So why do you bring it to God's altar? But anyway, you see, everything we give for the work of God. In fact, frankly here, including building fund. Let me tell you, it is not biblical for the church to come and say thank you to you when you give to the building project of the church. It is not biblical. Because it is an offering. Do you understand? It's a form of, it's an offering. So, once it is an offering, it dies at the altar. The sacrifice is it's a sacrificial offering you are put at the altar. When it is an offering, then you can lay a claim to it. But when it is a contribution, then you have no power to lay a claim of a blessing to it. It must die at the altar. But for accountability purposes and things, we say things. So don't be looking forward to a thank you. When you give offerings, do we have to say thank you? Then, we, then, then your blessing only comes from my thank you. Are you here? So we need to get this balance so that we don't import the wealth into church when we are talking spirituality. Amen. So now if you want thank you, we will say thank you to you. But I'm telling you, you are not going to be blessed. But I don't want to, I'm your pastor, so I'll tell you the truth. But if you want, we will continue to send you thank you. 
Okay, we will send you thank you. Don't worry. We have received it. It's thank you. <laughs> but I promise you, if you want to really latch on to what is at the altar, every sacrifice dies at the altar. So it shouldn't be there, really, for us to say thank you. But you will go to God and say, I gave this to you. When it says, it's our money, it's still yours. Ah, I thought we praise the Lord. If it's still yours, you can't lay a claim to it. I'm teaching you how to latch onto an offering and take a blessing from it. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. So, it's very, very important that this woman comes in and says these things. And then, I'm the pastor. I see everybody's offering and tithes. It's very important that the pastor does that too. So I said to her, no worries. But biblically, this is not going to be possible. That's why we don't do that. And I gave her a church history of how these churches were established and how they were fine. Then I said to her, but on the other hand, if you so wish, I'll do it on one condition every Sunday. I'll publish the names of all those who give. And I know she doesn't give. So I said, I'll publish the names of all the people. You want to know how much was received? We will also publish all those who gave. He said, oh, we haven't gotten there, pastor. That's not what I'm talking about. I said, that's what we are talking about. If you want to know the total, we will tell you the people who gave. And the matter died there. She said she wants to go. See, you need to avoid the company of people who contribute nothing but criticize everything. They contribute nothing to evangelism but criticize how the church is run. Criticize the people that are coming in. They contribute nothing to discipleship, but they criticize everything. They, they, they don't bring people to the church, but they criticize for people to leave the church. They don't know how you are running your business. They are the ones who actually come in the name of, oh, brother, <laughs> I thank God for your life. You know, I've got this problem. Please solve it for me. They are not paying when you offer them service. Christian members, when a member of the church runs a business and you purchase something, pay it, pay it. Pay it. Pay for it. Help their business to do well. Help their business. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. If they are selling clothing and you buy that, oh, thank you, sister. Thank you. I'll pay later. And you won't pay. Pay. You are the same person. When their business is not blooming, blossoming, you say, hey, look at them. They started businesses. They are not able to sustain it. You contributed nothing and you criticize everything. You need to avoid such people in the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Glory be to Jesus. Amen. They contributed nothing to the relationship and the wedding. And yet they criticized how the wedding cake was looking. Oh yeah. And look at this boy. She has, you know, actually accepted this proposal. This guy, who is he? So what did you contribute? No advice, nothing. You just discourage people. Church, it is time to avoid the company of certain people. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Number five. You can't afford to keep people who have no vision of what the future should be. Only a future of a vision of what the future shouldn't be. You can't afford to keep the company of people who have no vision of what the future should be. They only have a vision of what the future shouldn't be. They are not able to tell us exactly how things are going to look in the next few years. They won't tell us. But anything we are dreaming about the future, they oppose it. They have no vision for what the future should be. They have no vision for anything. David was looking at how this man will fall. His brother is looking at something else. He's looking at the guy that has few sheep. Their vision is always in your past, not in the present. But they call you their friend. You call them your friend. You want to work with them in the company you are setting up. But they don't, they don't see where you are going. They are only seeing today and yesterday. The lens that they wear only sees today and yesterday. They don't see future. They don't see vision. Everything future is gloomy. At a certain point, you need to assess such people and decide you can't think, dream and plan with such people. Just good morning, praise the Lord, it's alright for them. But in terms of sitting down, planning, vision, you need to avoid their company. In the name of Jesus. Because they don't seem to see. The Bible says, and there were the children of Issachar. They knew what Israel ought to do. 
they were also the children of God, but they carry a different level of anointing. They could see the future. They could see things ahead. May God raise sons and daughters of Issachar in the mighty name of Jesus, that they will not be intimidated by vision. If the vision came from God, it would be a big vision in the name of Jesus. Everything you want to set up, dream big. I said dream big. When you dream big and it is scaled down, it will still look big. But if you dream small and it's scaled down, it becomes something that we can't even recognize. In the name of Jesus. So dream big. I said God is not nervous when we dream big. Because greater is he who is in us than he that is in the world. In the name of Jesus. You need that great faith to walk with God and to get some things done. Every aspect of your life, your three areas of your life, your spirit, your soul or your emotion, your, your mind, your capacity, and then your physical life must all move in progress. Amen. Hallelujah. And if that will be the case, you need people who have vision of the future, not those who have no vision of the future. They see nothing that is possible. Nothing at all. Nothing. Everything backward. When you are dreaming big, they're just talking backwardness. Backwardness. They, they don't see how certain things can be possible. They have just accepted their state. You know, sometimes I have a problem with some of the people of our brothers and sisters from Africa. When they come, see, company is very important. The people whose company you keep. I know people who came. Some of them were in England before I arrived. But the kind of company they kept, gave them a myopic vision. Short-sightedness, that's all that they have. Short-sightedness. Work hard, get money, spread it. Chill. Eat it all. And build calories. The only vision they have is girls and women, and that's it. No vision at all. They stayed in this. They never dreamt of buying a house. No. It's flat. Council flat. Council flat is where you begin, but you must not end there. Hallelujah. And they have one, but they have, they have just coiled themselves in this place. I said, so won't you buy a house? No. See, because they came to meet some people who were also like that. So they are all inside there like that. Until somebody comes to want to change the paradigm, they don't understand. And I came, I look at this thing, I said, they said, oh, here it's like this. I said, no, I came with God. Here it won't be like that. It will be the way God wants it to be. Amen. And I moved away. And I moved on. And kept moving on. In Jesus' name. But I've seen people, you want to even encourage them. Would you not put something together and buy something for yourself? See, there was a man who lived here for about 37 years. And stayed in the council flat with his wife and children. And yet, he was building mansions in Ghana. So, which one do you want to enjoy? The ones that you are not going to be in 24-7 in a year. And the one that you are in. And your children grew up here. So, they don't know how to go and fight your family back home with, over these things. And yet, he's bought three houses. Three. Three eight-bedroom houses. And he's still coiling himself in that two-bedroom council flat. And then some of his family members started taking one of the properties. And he went to fight them. He doesn't have spiritual strength. He went to fight them. By the time they re he returned, they have given him some imported disease. And he came within a few weeks. He wasn't feeling well, felt paralyzed. Dead. Dead. Just like that. You have actually let the family down. Your family, your children, you have let them down. They can never go and fight these things. They, they didn't grow up there. They don't know how to fight these people with these things. Even you, they have killed you. How about your children? They are mincemeat. So, instead of you to have invested something here for them, you have wasted 37 years of your life in this country and built over there and nothing for them. Nothing. Nothing for them. You've just left them in this. You see, it's lack of vision. You are not seeing. Probably maybe the wife will say, why don't we get something here? No. Blind husband, may the Lord cause you to see tonight in Jesus' name. 
Sometimes the women see further. They say, oh, they should be patient. But how long should they be patient? You are telling them to be patient. It's not actually patience. You are telling them to actually keep quiet. And say, I know what I'm doing. Brother, you don't know what you are doing. You don't know what you are doing. It's taking too long. See now, may the Lord open your eyes. May the fear leave you. May the fear leave your life in Jesus' name. May the fear of risk taking leave your life in Jesus' name. May the Lord deliver you from the company of people who don't see. See, may the Lord cause you to see beyond what others are seeing. In Jesus' name. And destroy the status quo. Hallelujah. When they say you can't buy a house, buy it. Buy it and invest in it rather. I'm not saying don't build in Africa. You can build and rent it out to some corporate firms and then they can wire the money. You can still have it in, in Europe. You can rent it out in a better way and earn some better things out of it and create something for your children and the future. One day you will retire and you must earn something. Don't just do things because others are doing. Do things with a plan and a vision in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. So you can't afford to keep people who have no vision of what the future should be. When you are married, you should both be seeing what the future should be in Jesus' name. If you have been married for some time, you have to ask yourself, is it the future we thought 10 years ago? Because 10 years ago, is in the future. We have done 10 years of the marriage and you are talking what future again. What did we do in the past 10 years of that future? We have come 10 years into the future. 10 years into the future. Say in the future. This is the day. This is that day. This is that day. It should be a year now. It should be a year now. It should be well now. In Jesus' name. May the Lord deliver from foolish excuses and self-limiting beliefs. And it's most of the time because of the kind of people we hang out with. I just came to let you take off tonight in a new way. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Number six. You can't afford to keep people who put their own preferences ahead of your principles. Amen. People you keep company with who put their own preferences ahead of your principles. Whether the principles of the ministry, the principles of the organization you are leading, the principles of the business you are starting. They put their own preferences. If you hang around said people, the vision won't go forward. The dream won't work. Because so long as they don't think their thing should start at 7 a.m., they are not going to support it. They will discourage other people and the thing will die. But meanwhile, you have worked things as that if we start this business at 7 a.m. and we finish at 7 p.m., this is how much we are going to make at the end of the day. But this person's personal preference is that of a lazy person who feels, I need to sleep a little bit, start bathing around 9 <laughs> <laughs> bathing around nine o'clock and they spend two hours in the bath you don't know what they are scratching what 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 skin color do you want to appear with what at all are you bathing that you stay there for this long 30 minutes one hour are you cooking why come out time is running out Hallelujah. Don't let anybody's own preference overshadow the corporate dream. In Jesus' name. Because visions are accomplished in life based on principles and strategies. The soldiers in the army, if they want to go by their own preferences, no army would have won a war. But they follow their commanding officer's instructions. Whether it is winter or not. Whether they, you think all the people that were sent to go and ensure the poor evacuation from Afghanistan, they all agree with the government? No, but because they have sworn an oath to abide by the instructions of the commanding officer, they left. They went. It's very hot. They stood in. They did everything they have to do. Where they were commanded to go, they have to go. So even if somebody's coming to commit suicide bombing there, they have been given instructions, go this way and get the work done. They went. That's how nations move forward. 
That's how organizations move forward. In fact, when you take the army, that's why they continue to remain the most respected institution in many, many countries of the world. Because it is not personal preference, it's visionary preference. Hallelujah. If our church will do well, we don't go with personal preference, we go with visionary preference. If the marriage will do well, we go with our corporate preference, both of us. The marriage must win, not me. See, arguments in the marriage, it's not about scoring a political point. It's about whether the marriage will win. In Jesus' name. So if you must lose the argument for the marriage to win, the marriage must win. Don't be clapping for yourself. I wonder if you want it. The marriage is marking time. And sometimes it's not the devil. You need to be cast out of your mind and the way you think. In Jesus' name. Otherwise, I'll advise your spouse not to keep company with you. <laughs> Change in Jesus' name. Glory be to Jesus. Amen. Amen. Number seven. And the final one this evening. You can't afford to keep People who always resist change. People who always resist change. We all want progress, but we don't want the change that comes with the progress. You can never have progress until you make a change. Are you here? Glory be to Jesus. Say this church, the way things are going in this church. We want to change. You must change your behavior. That's what will bring the progress. We all want progress, but we don't want to change. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. But there are certain people, they suffer from chronic resistance to change. Because sometimes they are afraid of the what-ifs, of the negatives. What if it doesn't succeed? Let's go. If it doesn't succeed, we learn the lesson from it. We fail forward. We don't fail backwards. We fail forward. In Jesus' name. So there are certain people, they are resistant to change. And we must move them away. We must move away from them. When Jesus came, he was coming with a new thing. The people have been used to a particular way of reading the scriptures. And then they just say, Amen. And everybody say, Amen. And Amen. And Amen. And everybody say amen, and they all say amen. And the Lord God who bless us, and the Lord God who bless us, and everybody say amen, amen. And Jesus came, and then he preaches and casts demons out. They said, we haven't seen it on this fashion. If they will have to make progress, Moses' law was there, but there's a power in the law. There's a power in the word. And somebody came preaching the power of the word, and they said, we haven't seen it like this before. The Pharisees who are far in seeing, and the Sadducees who are sad to see, they resisted change. But Jesus was determined that if you are not coming along, keep your degrees. I'm going with fishermen. And the church was born. Hallelujah. And on the day of Pentecost, you see that God also likes change to bring progress. The Bible says the Holy Ghost made a grand entrance onto the earth's surface. And the Bible says that the people were filled with the Holy Ghost. And they began to speak in other tongues as the people, as the Holy Spirit gave them the utterance. And the Bible says and many people who came from different parts of the world, devout Jews. They came from, from Pamphylia, Pergamos. And all those places, Libya, and, and they came and the Bible said that the people on that day, majority of them were Jews who had been scattered in these nations and they have come back for the festival. And the Bible said that they even heard the apostles praying from, in the languages of the places where they came from. It means that some people came from Pamphylia. They heard Peter's tongues was Pamphylia tongues. And, and they were surprised. And then the Bible said... They said, what is the meaning of this? You see, it is not because the Jews didn't know the Holy Ghost. All the people there, they knew the Holy Ghost, but they knew the quiet Holy Spirit who speaks only Hebrew to Moses. The Holy Spirit who only speaks Hebrew to Jeremiah and Isaiah and, and, and Hosea and all these people. So when he came this time speaking Pamphylia and Pergamos, and all those other places, they said, what is the meaning of this? But their question was not going to stop God for the new paradigm that has happened. There is a shift for the progress. In the name of the Lord Jesus, if we want to see progress, we must be ready for change. And sometimes you need to change direction. I found out that if you discover that you are in the wrong direction, or you are at the edge of a cliff, 
the best way of progress is to turn back. If you are at the edge of a cliff, progress is to turn back. Not if you move one step forward, you fall down. So sometimes progress means to turn back. Hallelujah. May we keep people away from us who resist any form of change. Any form of change. For God to save us, the Son of God has to change environment. He left heaven. He has never be, God has never become man. We don't know how long God created himself and stayed as God for a long time before he created human beings. We don't know how long. It may have been so many, many, many millions of years or whatever it can be. <laughs> before he now decided, let us now make man in our image after our likeness. And when God made that decision, God has never been man before. But in order to save us, God, the son, has to change location. There has to be a change for that progress to happen. He has to stay in the womb that he has never stayed in before, ever since he created it. He has to be a baby to be fed breast milk from the breast he created. He hasn't tasted it before. He created it. Now he has to eat that milk, drink it. <laughs> Mommy, more, 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 more. <laughs> Then they, they started him on some semi-solids and then they started him on solids. Then they started sending him to go and buy bread from Auntie Elizabeth's place. And when he missed the, the, the hammer and the nail, Joseph would have given him a count. This, knock on his head this way. This, I said, knock it this way. They, they did the son of God and the Bible said he was submitted to them. There have to be a change for progress to happen. If you resist change, you remain where you are. Every time you say, we have always done it this way. It is the statement of people who are about to fail. We have always done it this way. The way you have done it is the result you have had. It is said that if you don't, if you want to have something you have never had before, you must do what you have never done before. Hallelujah. If you want to have something you have never had before, you must be prepared to do something you haven't done before. If we remain where we are, it's because we have been doing certain things the same way and we're having that result. If we want to have progress, we must change. So when you hang around people who are resistant to change, you must move on. You must avoid their company. I tell you, the best compliment you give them is, brother, good morning. <laughs> good afternoon. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah, brother. It shall be well. That's it. But when we are thinking and dreaming vision, we won't bring you to the table. And we have not sinned. We have not sinned against God, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. We haven't sinned. And we haven't sinned against you. You are just resistant to change. And the scripture encourages us to move away. David's elder brother was resistant to change. David moved away from him and talked to others. The others he was talking to, they too, they were soldiers. But they were not jealous of him. Hallelujah. They were not jealous of this young man. If you solve our problem for us, please, this is progress. That's progress. If that for the first time, somebody would take catapult to go and fight, we will change, change, change. Hallelujah. So people who resist change, we must avoid them in the name of Jesus. Because your mission in life, <coughs> your mission in the ministry, your mission in your marriage, your mission in your dream and career is just too important to stay around such toxic people. Amen. All these seven people I've described, they are poisonous. If you allow them in, they will poison you and you will remain where you are. You will just love where you are. You will love the small place where you are living until somebody moves you along and says, look, it is possible to also have this. In Jesus' name. May the Lord deliver you from small mindsets. From change-resistant mindsets. In Jesus' name, the methods may change. The principles remain the same. God's principles remain the same. But his methods have always been progressive over the years. Hallelujah. The way Adam would have been planting was different. It's different from the way we are planting. But the principles of putting a seed in the earth and watering it to bring germination remains the same. But we can't, if we want to have a large farm and produce for millions of people to feed on, you can't be planting the way Adam was planting. Whether with his fingers, digging the ground. When would you plant 10 and 20? With stick, digging the ground, as some of us did when we were little children. We just dig the ground. We have a, a bed. Did a Greek science. You, you, you build a bed. Then we planted cassava and things. 
little by little. But if you really want to have a farm, the method must change. The method by which the things go to the ground and the method by which they are watered must change. If you are resistant to change because you don't like something, you will not have results. <clears throat> Amen. Amen. You don't like Everybody wants to have a child, but the process sometimes can be painful. It's not even sometimes. In labor, you see them crying. Yeah. Carrying the pregnancy for nine months. It's not easy. And the men too, sometimes they too, it's not easy for them. Yeah. They suffer the same symptoms in another way. <coughs> but it changes a lot of things. Everything comes at a cost. Even our salvation did not come free. We always say that it's free. It's not free. It cost the life of the Son of God on the cross. Buddha beating. Together, there must be a change. There was a change. The Son of God had to be beaten. Somebody had to flog God. Have you thought about it? Somebody gave him whips. You whip God. God must allow this change. Hallelujah. Glory be to Jesus. If the method is not working, change it in the name of Jesus and pray for creativity, but avoid the company of those who do nothing and criticize everything. May the Lord help us this evening in the mighty name of Jesus.